Hello and welcome to Better Words. I'm Michelle from the Unfinished Bookshop and with me, that sounded like bookshop, <laughs> from the Unfinished Bookshelf. I'm a bit croaky this morning. With me is Caitlin from Just a Bookish Babe. Hey. <laughs> this morning, um, not this morning, we just gave away when we were recording. Or this afternoon or midday or midnight. We don't really mind when you're listening, but when we're recording is in the morning. Yeah. And that's all the clues you get. <laughs> um, so, because it's kind of early in the morning, what have you been up to lately, Caitlin? Apart from we both went to the gym last night. Yay, us. Yes, we did. Gosh, we're so fit. I feel like we keep talking about the gym anyway. It's because um, we're proud we're actually going. Um, yeah. You more than when, me. Yeah, when we stop talking about it, you'll know that we've given up. <laughs> but no, actually, after we went to the gym last night, you know what I did, Michelle? What? Please tell me it was like a face mask and pampering. I did a bit of pampering, but I watched New Year's Eve. Oh, Such, I mean, it's a bit of a guilty pleasure movie, mm. but I love it. I mean, also, this one has Zac Efron and Lee Michelle, so where can you go wrong? Oh, and Ashton, Ashton Kutcher. Oh, yes. Not to mention all the other faves from like, yeah, you know, Valentine's Day and all those ones that are exactly the same, but I just <laughs> love New Year's Eve. It's so... I love those movies. I just find the concept of them so weird, though. Let's like, let's just get as many big name stars as possible and put them in with some weird plot where everything eventually joins up. Like, I just who comes up with that idea? Do you think Gary was, Marshall? <laughs> well, no, I was Love Actually must have been like the first one of those. Yeah, kinds but I of think movies. it was differently because it's British. The others are all American. Yeah, but it's the first one where you've got like tons like of big the, name stars and where it like, all comes together yeah again, where yeah. it's like oh they're someone's brother oh you're actually married to them like yeah. oh yeah yeah i mean sometimes like the first time you see it it's kind of i mean even though they're not the greatest movies they're still very enjoyable to watch that's but what first, a guilty pleasure is, yeah though. but then the first time you see them and you like all those dots connect or whatever it is like a bit it's like oh and you like you get it it's cool I do really appreciate that kind of storytelling, whether it's in books or TVs or movies. Like, I am yes, so... I love well, connecting I, the dots. I think I'm so bad at that. Like, in like I never oh, pick it like up. anticipating Yeah, like, I, and I don't think that if I was writing something, I would be able to do that. So I'm always, it, you know, whenever... I know um, when I was reading, I think that was something I said about Kate Tempest's... Um, the bricks that built the houses where like everything sort of came together and it just had all these stories which I didn't think had anything to do with each other like that oh gosh that type of storytelling really really impresses me I love it yeah just because I can't do it (laughs) yeah I know I don't think I'd be able to come up with it either but that's actually a good point is that that really impressed me when I read Second Glance by Jodie Picoult. Yeah, that was really good. Oh my gosh, you said her name the right way. Yay! Is Thanks, that just because we're, that just we're <laughs> recording though? Because you've always said that you won't say it that way. <laughs> I don't know. I okay. So if you're not Australian, um, you probably say just not, Yeah, you're just you're just not a bogan. Like Australians, especially bogan Australians like us in Central Queensland, have always said Picoult. Because Jody we, just, we just read the name and we're like, Picoult. But I saw Jodie, like, thank God, like I saw her a few years ago, and which was amazing because she's one of my favourite authors. And she pronounces her name Picou, like the T, and I was like, what's that? Because um, I'm an uncultured person. <laughs> um, so now I say that and Caitlin and our other friend used to always laugh at me and I was like, no, I because I've met her, I feel like I should say her name properly and... Yeah. yeah, but then I felt well, like a bit of a tool for saying it like that when I everyone mean, else. I it is it always a bit weird whenever someone goes, "Oh, you're not pronouncing that properly." It's I like I want like that. Well, you Maybe know, I like did. when you Sorry. there's always words where you're like, <laughs> you know, you're not saying it right, but you just can't say it properly. Yeah, oh. I mean, I'm a bit like that with names because, like, if someone pronounces my name wrong or some one of my friends' names wrong or something, I'm like, how? you get to that because I always know it as the other way yeah so oh I mean general words I don't care that much you know that I work with a couple of people who have very difficult names um shout out to my lovely friend Jeanne um (laughs) yeah try guess how to spell that (laughs) so said h-a-n-a-e and when we first met I was like what 
I had to like really get deep in the stalking on Facebook to find her. And I mean, our funniest conversations at work are when she's being called something funny by someone Mm. on the phone. Um, We had a colleague who moved to the Sunshine Coast who emailed us the other day saying, I'm listening to these girls trying to work out how to pronounce your name. And they're like, Zani, how do you you say that? (laughs) So, um, yeah, we get a lot of laughs out of that, but obviously not fun all the time for her but she laughs about it um as as does the other person that I work with who um yeah so I hope Shanae doesn't mind I mean thank god our names are Michelle and Caitlin although I have to admit I still get it pronounced oh I still get I've got like Rochelle before and I'm like I got that from the attorney general when I met him and our local MP who has the same name as me was like it's Michelle and I was like (laughs) thank you you've had this problem before I can see that (laughs) So, yeah, it's still still get the wrong one sometimes. Yeah. Well, mine is usually just spelling. Oh, but yeah. Probably a million ways to yeah. spell Caitlin. Probably enough about names and our names. <laughs> but so, Michelle, what did you get up to after we went to the gym last night? Well, I finally finished watching the first season of House of Cards. Um, I, I, I had the DVD, but then I just got lazy and finished watching the last two episodes on Netflix because I have to admit, I'm a millennial. I, I feel so guilty when I do that if I have something on DVD, oh but I can't watch DVDs like on my phone or on my iPad, you know? That's true. No, I was watching it on my TV. I'm just, I was honestly just being a lazy millennial and I forgot yeah, where well, I put the DVD. Okay. So. I do that too. Yeah. 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 So um, have, you, have you watched House of Cards? Do you know I what haven't. it's about? I haven't, but isn't it about like um, the president? in the US but like oh. a fake president and it's Kevin Spacey well I mean spoiler alert I think he becomes the president eventually like it's up to season five now so oh whoops <laughs> yeah no no I, I knew that already from listening okay. to other podcasts but, but he's a politician yeah so he is a congressman in the US um very ambitious shall we say um would do anything to get where he wants to go and, and so I guess five seasons he gets there. <laughs> yeah yeah so I'm interested to see where it goes but um, what we were saying just before about all that ends coming together really works in this because there are lots of things that he does at the start where I'm like, what? Why are you doing that? And last night was when all those little oh, things came, came together. together. Yeah, to, to kind of fall into place for what he wants, which is, spoiler alert, to get the vice presidency because oh, that's like his plan step. is to, yeah, so he has this step and he's just got that and that's where I've ended it. So I'm going to keep watching season two. It did take me a while to get into. Um, I think I tried watching it um, once before I got a few episodes in and was like, yeah, whatever. But it is a show people quite rightly have said I would love because there's a lot of journalism too. It's an interaction of like the press as well with the politicians. And I do a lot of political reporting. So people were right in saying that I would enjoy it. Um, I love Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright. So Robin Wright, who was in Wonder Woman, plays his wife, Claire. And they're both so utterly ruthless like it kind of like those characters you're watching and you're like how can I enjoy watching you are a horrible person but at the same time you just want to keep watching them your favorite characters yeah he's so ruthless but you know she is too but I love her like a little bit more because she's just awesome um but yeah they're both such great actors I yeah but the whole cast is really cool too but yeah Kevin Spacey so good awesome like if you liked him in Horrible Bosses, you'd like Frank Underwood. <laughs> I love Horrible Bosses. Horrible Bosses is so good. That movie is so funny. I love it. I no, love Kevin it so Spacey is very good. Yeah, the spaceman yeah. is mm. awesome. Yeah, and I'm also reading. I keep reading just a little bit before I go to bed, and then you know read a few pages and fall asleep because that's what my life is like is just sleep. Um, I keep reading. Remind me how this ends by Gabrielle Tozer. Um, good yeah so I'm I really... actually lent it to her yeah because so I was like Caitlin's you have book. to read it yeah, yeah which obviously because I'm you know very picky about that myself I'm being very careful with just so you know very careful um so yeah it's so good I love I, I don't think there's enough exploration of that time after high school no and there's definitely not enough exploration of what you do if you're not going to go to high to university because I think yeah or like well not even even if you're not going to go to uni but some people plan to travel straight away or you know whatever your plan may be I mean we both went straight to uni but you still have a bit of a 
an idea of like, what you want to do. Everyone has a limbo period at some point where it's like, oh, like what's next? And it usually is after high school or after university. I don't know. I haven't had it yet because I just kept going. It just powered through. Oh. Yeah, Michelle just got a job straight out of uni. She's so lucky. No, I got a job like because I I wanted to come back to a regional town. I wasn't moving into Sydney or Melbourne or like I know people struggled to get jobs in those places. I was happy to come back to my regional hometown. Luckily, could live with my parents um, and yeah, get a get a job at a regional paper. Not a lot of people are necessarily happy to to take that path but it's one that's worked for me um and I'm very grateful to my boss for giving me that chance I think I pinched myself for the first month I was like are you gonna fire me like have I really got a job I could not believe it <laughs> I could not believe it at all but it anyway, definitely is a bit of a weird transition to have a full-time job for the first time because that that was my first full-time job mm. I was very lucky not to have to work during uni um which is probably a good thing because I was very, very anxious, even though I, I wasn't dealing with my mental health at the time. So I was in a very bad place mm-hmm. and it was very stressful. Um, but yeah, I to don't go really into know my... how I had time to have a job during uni. Neither do I, because you were also doing musicals. Yeah, like I <laughs> like also that did, was crazy. Like, like I did a fair bit like outside of uni, even if it was just like. Um, you know, helping out a lot more at home. Mm. Like that's still, I mean, yes, we should all like help out at home, but it it's takes different. up time. It's different when you go from being that high school teenager to being, yeah. you know, at you know university. A, a young adult at yes. university. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, you know, I will say I was very lucky not to have to do that. And I didn't do much except study because I think if I had done anything else, I really like, I was in a very like now that I look back I'm like whoa I was in a bad place mentally and I didn't admit it so I didn't really do much except study because I mean at the time that was that was taking up a lot of time <clears throat> I am um, a bit croaky this morning sorry everyone <laughs> <laughs> um but I'm I'm loving it I like the romance in it I don't think it's a spoiler to say that there's romance in it um and I just I like the small town thing as well because I think um being from okay we're not from a small town we have about I think on the last census I did a story I did a story on this just over well just just in Rockhampton itself that's the region so just in Rockhampton I think we're about 50,000 um just in Rockhampton itself literally just here we we have yeah we have a lot of like outskirting towns that get counted in the region but that was just from the census data I think just for our state electorate borders Mm. I'm just using my work knowledge here um but we still understand the idea that a lot of people like I don't know what you were like at high school but a lot of people were like I'm getting out of this place and I'm never coming back and it's horrible and hell yeah yeah I mean I've always kind of felt that it's not that bad, but it's probably not the time to go into talking too much about where we're from. Hey, when we have like a 10 minute drive to work every day. Yeah. Although Uh, it does cut down, does cut down my podcast listening time, I must say. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Or my reading time. Because when I was doing my internship in Sydney, I was getting like an hour reading in before work. On the commute, on the trains Yeah, that was good. That was good. But we're going to talk about that more with our guest today. Because our guest today is Gabrielle Toza. So we're really, really excited to be able to talk a bit more about this book and her other books, um, which we're going to introduce soon. The media generally, because we both work in the media. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to get to that more um, when we give her a call soon. Our guest today is an internationally published author, freelance journalist, editor, copywriter and social media specialist. She has written and worked for many Australian magazines and media companies. She's also the author of The Intern and Faking It and has had a huge year in 2017 with new novel Remind Me How This Ends, a short story in the Love Oswaye anthology and a new picture book titled Peas and Quiet. If you don't follow her on Twitter, you should because she's hilarious. Welcome, Gabrielle Toza. Yay! Yay! Thanks, guys. So nice to be here with you. Thank you for joining us uh, very early on a weekend morning. We really appreciate that. It is. Sorry, I'm dragging you. 
you into my very boring lifestyle of <laughs> ridiculously early morning. So I appreciate it. No, no, That's we're okay. used to it. We're used to it. I have to admit, I'm just so excited to talk to you. <laughs> Caitlin oh, is, yeah, really. I have to talk to you as well. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, we're both excited, but Caitlin particularly was like, when we do this podcast, she's like, I want to interview Gabrielle Tozer. So yeah, this is really, really exciting for us. um so I guess the most exciting thing for both of us um like being in the media industry ourselves in different aspects of it but we both really related to the intern yes yes so how we I'm wondering how much of your own experience in the magazine industry went into writing the intern and faking it okay so I wrote the intern and faking it when I was in my mid to late 20s and so there's not really like a percentage amount of you know how much of my experience went into writing that book but what I can say is I absolutely could not have written it without the career that I've had and so what I mean by that is I was one of those really like frustratingly annoying people who just knew what they wanted to do from a really young age, which is really quite similar to Josie, who's a real go-getter. Like mm. I had that same uncool side where you just, you know, you're doing work experience all through high school and you're telling everyone that you know that you want to be a journalist. So like that was me at high school. And so I was doing work experience um, from about year 10 at, at newspapers and um, community radio stations and TV stations and things like that. Um, I did my first magazine work experience when I was at uni just because of my location. So I'm actually from a country town called Wagga Wagga. And so when I moved to uni in Canberra, it was just a little bit more convenient to be getting to Sydney mm-hmm. for things. So I remember I did my very first work experience um, at T, um, TV hits, which isn't around anymore, but it was my Bible as up when I was a teenager. I loved it, <laughs> and um, I, I also did one at a magazine that's also no longer no around, but I it was smaller, but it was wonderful. <clears throat> Excuse me, it was called Urban Hits, and it was like an R and B hip hop uh, magazine. Like, I love that kind of music, and so it was a really small mag, and so I got to do some pretty cool stuff there like I was literally there for a week and I was doing interviews and writing so much which is if anyone's ever done work experience before you often don't get to do cool stuff like that you know like it's often you're really learning the ropes while this was like I was thrown in Mm -hmm. and that was such a wonderful experience and that actually launched me into doing some paid freelance writing throughout university which is great so my kind of entertainer journalism started like during those university years Mm. I was doing like street press stuff and so like um in Canberra so I was interviewing a lot of like um they're not really celebrities anymore but like a lot of like um bands and musicians for like the local street press mag BMA which I did that my entire uni trip and that was so wonderful because I was just getting this like hands-on experience at the same time as I was doing my degree which was journalism communications and I also did um like majored in creative writing as well so I had like a real mix Mm. and I just was hungry for it and so like once I got once I graduated I moved to Sydney And that's where I guess my full-time experience began in 2006. So I've been doing that now for over 11 years. And yeah, I never had like a crazy full-time internship the way Josie did, but I certainly know all about them. I've done (laughs) internships myself. And so I, and I've also been a manager where I've been managing interns. So I've seen it from both sides where you're seeing how great some interns can be and how just lazy and hilarious and like hungry in a really inappropriate way some Mm. interns can be as well yeah definitely yeah so it was like this was just like a big cocktail of experiences that went into this and during the time of talking about the intern and faking it publicly like when it first came out which feels like a really long time ago now (laughs) it um yeah it was it just reminded me I was that I very much for my very first novels because you got to remember I this is the first novels I had ever had written and published so I was very much learning as I went for those two it was very much a case of I was writing what I knew but then exaggerating the hell out of it mm. so there's elements like if we sat down with the books I could be like that's real 
that's made up. That's <laughs> but it's such a melting pot of all that. Um, but I very much relate to Josie. Like, she's probably, like, I relate to all my characters, though, like, in every single book and story I've ever written. So she's probably bundled up into, like, my insecurities <laughs> and self-deprecating nature. And, like, I'm also addicted to Hawaiian pizza and, you know, had awkward experiences with guys at high school. And so, like, she's kind of, like, my awkward side that I've just really had a lot of fun with exaggerating. Mm. I think Josie, for me, it was the same sort of thing, although I must say I did not, because I'm a, I'm a journalist, I didn't um, know what I wanted to do until the middle of grade 12. And then I, I was um, looking through a catalogue for a university and I was like looking at all the classes that you do for journalism. And I was like, oh, that sounds like me. Like that actually does sound like it would fit for me. So that's how I picked my career. Uh, luckily for me, it worked out. Um, but it's really interesting that you you had the same experience where if you're in sort of a regional or a smaller area or at a smaller publication, you get to do so much because I had the same thing when I did work experience at the paper that I now work at. It was like your first day in, do you have any story ideas? Hey, we're going to send you out on a job. And, ah. and it's interesting now that I'm there seeing the work experience people that come through and, and being able to pick and be like, you're going to get a job. You are not going to get a job. Like uh, just knowing yeah. what my boss wants and that initiative. Like I guess that the main thing if you want to be a journalist is initiative. Like always, I mean, in any job really that you're doing work experience at, never be sitting there and not doing anything. Just yeah. ask someone, hey, can I, can I help you with this? What are you doing? Or, you know, if they don't have anything, ask them to tell them, tell, tell you a bit about their job. Um, I think that's the, that's the big thing that I've noticed in the transition to, um, to being like an employee rather than a work experience kid. (laughs) But I I also did, um, I also did some, uh, I did my internship. I had to do it full time in Sydney because I was studying on the Gold Coast. So I had to cram it all into four weeks instead of going like one day a week. And I went down and did it at Pacific Mags. Um, and that was the most amazing experience. I was at Bride to Be, uh, which was a very small team of people. So I did get to do like a bit of fashion and a bit of styling and a bit of writing. And it was, it was a really great experience, but I read the intern after that and I was like, oh gosh, this is so familiar. (laughs) Like, oh, it was just, it was just great. Um, so I guess the next thing is that that kind of industry if people are looking to get into it what they're seeing a lot of is you know jobs are declining it's going through a huge period of transition um what would your advice be to someone who's looking to to be a writer to follow the same sort of career path as yourself or even just get into communications in general you're so right it is in such a period of change um and to be honest it has been evolving since I graduated like and that I graduated in 2005 and there were there were kind of warning bells from you know senior people then about what the media is going to become and so I think the thing these days and you know it's something obviously we don't have to go through at the moment because we're already in the industry but we it's about being adaptable, I think. Um, yeah, I think that's a really about, good point. Uh, mm. Yeah, it's like a very much a case of perhaps, the, like for me, it's very much like the industry is changing beneath my feet. So, for example, mm. when I first set out to become a journalist, I only, well, initially I was imagining doing broadcast as well and then at uni I kind of had, I made a choice and I went with, with print. And so I... Um, once I had chosen print, I just imagined that that would be my career, if you know what I mean. Like, in, like I hoped I'd write books as well, but it was very much like I just pictured my career being in magazines and I just was very, you know, optimistic. I didn't really think beyond that, you know. I like, didn't think suddenly it would be in this massive period of change 10 years from the moment I graduated. Mm. And so I'm having to go through this myself as a working 
journalist thinking, what do I want now for the rest of my life in terms of what journalism is becoming? Because it certainly is very different to how it was for me when it began. There's, it's, you know, obviously a huge online element, which is wonderful that it gives access to so many people, but at the same time, there's not always as much um, time and resources and number of staff to be able to create the type of content that you want. So there's a lot of lifting going on between magazines and, oh, sorry, not magazines, um, like different online publications. Mm. So it's, it's becoming something that I guess I'd never had imagined the media would be. Um, so look, in terms of starting out, so if, if I'm someone in year 12 who's thinking, I really want to be a journalist, I'm not sure what career advisors are telling kids these days, but there's kind of different paths to lots of the same destinations, right? So I went the very traditional route, which I know you can still do, which is doing a journalism degree, and a lot of unis are still doing them. What other people have found that have landed in the exact same kind of media positions as me is doing other types of degrees as well and simultaneously working on their writing and, you know, maybe doing some subjects in journalism. So things like studying communications a bit more generically or studying the arts and then picking and choosing different subjects, kind of almost having like a a varied um, degree which gives them options at the end. Because I found Mm -hmm. that for me, when the time came to apply for jobs, and this was, you know, 11 years ago for the full-time job, and I had to start applying for full-time jobs, people were kind of like, okay, great, she's got a degree, and then they'd move on from that part immediately. Mm. And then the, it's all about what separates you from that point. And so it's very much a case of what can you do that is going to make you stand out from the vast number of graduates out there because to be honest and this is you know it's a bit scary but there are so many graduates out there who have studied the same thing if you've studied journalism and similar things so this is where that initiative and that hunger we were talking about comes into it and it's why I think people that are going to continue to succeed as journalists and they absolutely will because we always need news and we'll always need information and writers. Like that part I'm not afraid about at all. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. people just want content exactly. all day. So that's going to continue. It's not going away. No, it's just changing. It's no, and it's a limited number no of people getting that. jobs. Absolutely. So there's a limited number of jobs and of graduates. So you have to stand out from the rest. And I think what's going to make the difference is people knowing why they want to be a journalist. So Mm. like this is super, might sound a bit business jargony, you know, but it's literally like know your why. Like why do you want this? You know, is this something you even want? Like when we're having to make these decisions with our career, we're quite young, you know. Like, you know, when you said, Yeah. yeah, like I was just a, freak of nature who knew what she wanted to do but to be completely fair I didn't really know what it would involve as a career I think I just was a bit excited by the like back then oh me too me too excited about the idea of like you know wearing like fancy jackets on tv if I was going to be a broadcast journalist (laughs) but but not white no white jackets thank you (laughs) we had this discussion if anyone didn't see that I'm going to link the viral video um when you two news um, broadcasters both wore white jackets yeah. and it was a bit of a thing in Australia. It was very funny. Oh, it was so funny. <laughs> Sorry, Gab. That's all right. right. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of like knowing why you want to do it, staying focused and looking at what makes you different and like knowing what your areas of potentially areas that could become your areas of expertise or of passion could be and really start throwing yourself out there. Like I started writing and um, – asking questions as well from like age 18 when I was at uni like I was bugging the street press mag about tips and like you're just kind of hungry for it Mm. and um but you've also got to want to enjoy it like this is an this is like an industry that people that last and I believe like that you know stay in it and are successful in it are people that just genuinely love writing and love information and love entertaining and storytelling like I feel like it's no it's not an industry for people who just want to roll into work and collect their paycheck and then go home like you've got to naturally have that kind of passion for it I think um but the initiative is a huge one and that can be anything from 
being really eager and offering your your services to people or also knowing when to kind of step back and and just get on with the job and let mm. and like and not bug the the bosses you know so they can get on with their jobs because what's happened with the industry these days is as more jobs have been kind of as organizations have been restructured and jobs have been changed you know there's often a case of the the bosses are doing like two or three people's jobs at once so it's kind of busier than it's ever been but it doesn't mean there's still not jobs out there it's a matter of what jobs are out there and are they the jobs that you want so there's online jobs obviously and there's you know there's all sorts of comms types of jobs that still very much use those same skills that advertising and marketing and public relations and freelance journalism is something that I know a lot of writers are doing while juggling other jobs and so they're still able to pursue their their passion for writing and and maybe make some money on the side but then they've got that solid base of a paycheck either full-time or part-time somewhere else so we're very much in a new era of kind of what being a writer looks like we are and Caitlin is giving me so many knowing looks because she hears it all the time when I'm like oh I can't do this because I'm still late at work um because we have no staff ever um because being a regional paper as well it's a place where people uh, there's there's a high turnover because people start their careers here and then they move on and uh-huh. we're not necessarily getting replacements and then like you said as well everyone not just our bosses everyone is doing the job of like two people and you'll have a couple of things you're responsible for and it's it's so busy but I like every day I love it even though it, it the the corporate things sometimes get to me a bit but in uh-huh. terms of like when I get a good story I still get that adrenaline rush of oh this is such a good story um and that's how I know I'm doing the right thing but I think millennials like our generation are uniquely placed to be able to adapt really quickly to change and I think in some ways it's it's a good time to be in the industry because if you have a cool idea and you can pitch it right there's way more chance of it getting accepted because bosses are willing to give things a go if you can prove that I mean let's be honest it's all about the hits online for a lot of people because that's how we're getting advertising revenue now so if you can prove that it will get people clicking on things then most bosses are willing to give it a go and so I think it's actually a really it's it's a bit of a scary time to be in the industry but it's also a pretty cool time as well so interesting yeah, and yeah, the same, it's, it's same absolutely. There's media. like a lot of there's a lot of freelance writers who perhaps have never studied journalism or done anything like that, but they're very passionate and very informed about what they're writing about, and are perhaps even more articulate than some people that have had journalism degrees. You know, mm. like they're wonderful writers, and yeah, they're they're pitching to online places, and they're getting their stories picked up. And so they're, what they're gradually doing is building up a portfolio and that suddenly becomes the most important thing, like over everything else, like over a degree and over all that stuff, it's, they start to build a name for themselves and, you know, more and more people then start to trust their name and almost like a brand. Like, yeah. I know what I'm going to get when it comes to this writer. And, and we're being told that at work in terms of, you know, build your own personal Facebook, build your own personal Twitter because those followers can go with you and that can become like I have like minimal followers but if you were to get quite a few followers that can be something that you can pitch to when you're going for a new job and so I think that's something that people can keep in mind like blogging is a great way if you're a teenager and you want to get better at writing and stuff you know get get experience with your own blog and um, if you if you are going specifically to like a news or a magazine publication and you're doing some work experience, my number one tip would be to always start your work experience with a story idea because that's going to be really, really impressive for everyone who works there because they don't want to be handing you stuff every single day. Absolutely. And know the publication like that oh, you've that's come a, to that do is, work experience. That is a huge it one. It seems so basic. It seems so basic, right? But often people just have they've never bothered to pick it up they've just booked in for their work experience or their internship maybe it was like Josie where it's just been handed to them or you know it doesn't really like it can kind of go either way or maybe they just didn't think 
to do that. But the more prepared you can be, the better. Absolutely. And also when you're working there, like if, if you're working for a newspaper, actually read the newspaper, read your stories and read other people's stories too, because that's how you can start to improve as a writer. That was like the number one tip my boss gave me when I started. And I'd look at the way other people wrote things and be like, oh, that's that's really cool the way that they've done that. And, you know, you eventually pick up good style tips. And also, if you are in university and you do do a journalism degree, I think the important thing to remember is that the style that you learn at university is not the be all and end all. I mean, every publication has its own style. I work at a newspaper, but my boss is very much like tell the story. And the way that we write is totally different from the way that I learned to write for newspapers at university. So being adaptable again is just such a big part of being successful in this industry. Absolutely. And I also feel like kind of being transparent about the fact that if you're doing a three or four year degree, by the time that's finished, like there might have been even more changes in the industry about what's expected or the mm. kinds of places where you can get work. And so I think it's just a matter of keeping an eye on that throughout yes. your entire degree. Like I, there was kind of two different types of people in my degree. There were people like me who were kind of living double lives, like we were doing our uni degree and loving it. And we were also just throwing ourselves into the industry, like, you know, dipping our toe in the pool as early as we could because we just wanted to. And then there were people that were kind of, like, just doing their degree but not daring to to see what was out there. And often by the time their degree finished, they didn't really then move into journalism. They went into other jobs, like in the public service or things like that. And I think if it is something that you're wanting at the end, you you need to keep up. That's three or four solid years of information that you could be gathering or building your portfolio so oh even I've worked I've worked as a full-time journalist for three and a half years and even in that time the way that we put together our newspaper and our website has changed dramatically like it went from getting a news list of stories that would be in the paper at about 1 p.m in the afternoon um, with most stories going online the next day to now we have deadlines throughout the day we have like three major deadlines throughout the day for online stories and then we fill the paper so yeah it's such a such an ever-changing industry yeah it really is yeah yeah if there's ways that people can upskill in their own time as well without it costing a fortune then that can be helpful i didn't do this during uni but i wish i had um just because one of the like we were told throughout uni that we'd be learning that we'd be using this program called Dreamweaver so everyone was kind of getting used to this program called Dreamweaver and then you know when we spat out into the into the world and I went into magazines no one's using Dreamweaver everyone's (laughs) using like Adobe InDesign and now we're using InCopy and things like that so it's kind of like if you have any contacts in the industry if you find yourself doing work experience you can kind of get those head starts and so then maybe you can learn how to how to use these programs that become so important when you're on the job and like if you don't that's fine you you know you get training and that's completely fine but sometimes I wish I had a bit of a head start with InDesign because I kind of fudged my way through (laughs) that in my first job I may have lied and said I knew how to do it don't do that at home but kind of like I I did that too (laughs) I'm not very good at like training session with my friend's dad who's a an amazing designer and he sat down and was kind of teaching me the basics so I knew how to do sub-editing and move things around (laughs) and stuff like that but it was so stressful and I just wish I'd had a bit more time to nurture those skills but now it's something I use literally every day for 11 Mm. years so look you you adapt and you get there yeah and I would say also if anyone is wanting to get into newspapers particularly or online newspapers now doesn't mean just print it's it's online mainly um the biggest thing which I ignored at uni because I was like well I'm not doing tv journalism so I don't need to know how to do this technical stuff get yourself skilled in video if you want a job as a journalist they want multimedia and again we're all learning it at work now and we but every journalist who works for a newspaper is expected to have video skills as well and I promise you it will be a really really big selling point on your resume if you have video skills and it's something I didn't have going in I have them now but it's still surprising the number of people who are like oh but this is for the paper isn't it and I'm like Yes, but we are online. 
absolutely um, and everyone's doing everything it's, yeah. and photography skills as well absolutely. oh yeah definitely um <laughs> so you also founded the bottom rung which like it's like an online hub to help students get confidence before they're entering the workplace which is I guess a bit what we've been talking about already but um apart from knowing some computer programs what else do you wish you'd known before you actually went into full-time work and what's the biggest lesson you learned from that first job Okay, so having to cast my mind back here. Um, look, I've, I've, I've learned so many lessons, but this is a pretty big picture one that may not kind of click for people straight away at the start of their career, but maybe if they remember it, it'll help them at some point. So let me explain. So I, because I was so ambitious and I and so hungry for this when I was very young, I, it meant I put way too much pressure on myself about it. Like I was a stress head. It wasn't, it wasn't pleasant. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't making life easy for myself. I kind of had this vision that careers had to just go up, up and up. Like, you know, just imagine a big line soaring up high. And so like with every job, it would be a better job. It would be, you know, you're kind of moving through the ranks and that's what a career is. But when I was about 25, I'd, I'd been following that, right? I'd gone from being a sub and being a sub editor, and then I'd kind of become a deputy chief sub editor. Then I was becoming like a one shot mag- managing editor. Then I was like a deputy editor where I was managing like 11 people. And it, I kind of was following what I thought was the career path that you're meant to do. But when I was 25, 26, I was just like, this is not making me happy. Like, this isn't what I expected. And I had this wonderful conversation with someone who pointed out that careers don't have to go up the whole time. Like, sometimes to be happy, you need to, like, take sideways steps with a job. Like, maybe you're taking a job that's on a similar level, but it's it's different job and that's what you might need or maybe it's even taking a job that's stepping back a few spots and that might be what you need and that's okay so they explained to me that a job doesn't have to be this one big exponential line that's like soaring into the sky it's more like a little roller coaster where there's you know ups and bumps and that type of thing and it it might sound silly but for me that has saved me because I was kind of on the fast track to burnout and I did burnout in my 20s and that's ridiculous like I'm in my 20s you know like I shouldn't be shouldn't be putting that much pressure on myself with something but I was and so now I've done so many different things like I've gone from managing 11 people after that job I after that pep talk I was like well I'm not happy I'm missing writing so I then took a writing job where I then suddenly went back down a few you know, paces, I was paid less, but my God, I was happy. And that mm. just has reminded me. That's from such my, good advice. Like from basically I have stopped, I stopped worrying about how a job title or the name of a magazine or online organization would look to other people. And I've thought about what would actually make me happy in my own life rather than about, you know, if it's what I should be doing. And so that has changed everything. So I've kind of jumped around heaps in my career from like being managers to being being managed and you know now I'm a freelancer and I've done that for two and a half years so I'm it's a completely different lifestyle altogether but I'm okay with that and so like I, I no longer make these stupid statements like I would never do this or I would never do that because I'm now open to my career taking me on all sorts of paths. And I think that's really good um, to keep in mind, mainly so you don't put too much pressure on yourself and think that you need to be in like the top chair by the time Mm. you're, you know, mid twenties. I think there's a lot of pressure on people. People put a lot of pressure on themselves to like be absolutely killing it from the start. But I've really have found how important it is to learn the foundations, put in time in a job where you get comfortable and, enough in the job that you're nailing it before then throwing yourself into the next challenge um but I had to learn all those lessons the hard way yeah Um, I think being open to new jobs is actually a really good point as well because I mean when I finished uni I was applying I mean I was applying for all different kinds of jobs but if you had told me at my graduation ceremony that I would have ended up in the job I've got I would have laughed in your face but (laughs) I've you know, I really am enjoying my current job and, 
you know, just because I didn't think that I would be here doesn't mean this is where I'm supposed to be. You know? Absolutely. And I, I think as well, you know, it, because the media and even communications jobs, like copywriting and advertising and marketing, that type of thing, things do move quickly. So sometimes you may only be at a job for one to three years or something like that, you know, and that's, that's okay as well. And so sometimes, you know, you have to remind yourself, you know, this isn't permanent. This isn't the rest of my life. Like if you're hating it kind of thing. So it's very much about with every single job, this is another piece of advice, but with every single job that you do, even if it's hell, and I've had a couple that were hell on earth, you look back and go, what have I gained from this job? And it might be skills that you can then take into a new job. It might literally just be an amazing job title that'll help you get another job. Yeah. Um, it, it might be an amazing friend. Like, you know, there was one job that helped, like I came away with some, like one of my best friends. Um, or it, it just might be something that, you don't realize for years actually helped you learn some lessons about yourself and what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are and that type of thing. So I feel like I am one of those silver lining people. So I do try to, even if I'm hating something like afterwards, I try to reflect on it and go, well, okay, that really sucked. But was there anything good about it? And you can usually find a few things that were. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Um, we, we were talking a little bit before we called you this morning about Remind Me How This Ends, which we both well, I haven't actually finished it yet. I will by the time this goes to air, <laughs> but we're both really big fans of it. And we were talking about, you know, being from regional areas. Um, uh-huh. We and I'm sure you found this too. We have a lot of people who are like never going back and stuff like that. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about that. Like Milo is very unsure of what he's going to do with his life. And, you know, that seems very opposite to what you were like. So, you know, why did you want to write about Milo and his indecision about what he's going to do after high school? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, Josie and the intern of faking it kind of captured my intensity during those early ages, you know, of like 16 onwards, like that was where I was at. And believe it or not, so I'm 32 now and I started writing this book when I was about 30, I should probably should have checked that, 29, 30 maybe. Um, I was feeling like Milo, believe it or not. Like uh, my, my period of indecision hit me a decade after high school. Um, so I was feeling doubt about everything in my life when this is what leads me to write books I kind of have these authentic really like these feelings that just like won't let me go and then I kind of throw them into these fictional scenarios and so yeah I wasn't having a great time in my own life I was feeling really confused about literally every aspect of my life I was very unhappy about what the future was going to hold I was yeah I was all over the place and the only thing I knew how to do was to start writing that out. And I didn't deliberately think to myself, I want to write about someone who's in a regional town, who's like stuck, feeling stuck in a regional town. I just knew that I wanted to write something that was more that more connected to my childhood. And that led me to the regional town, if that makes sense. Like I'd already done mm. the city with the intent of faking it and that's very much a part of who I am these days, but I wanted something that felt true to who I was when I was that age. Um, and I think if I was in a happier headspace, I may have written a completely different type of novel set in regional New South Wales, which maybe I will one day. I think, I've, you know, I could have written something that was more representative of like the hilariously fun, you know, times that my friends and I used to have, like it could be more of a comedy, but because I was in such a, a low period, and I did end up like going to speak to a doctor and that kind of thing to kind of help work through all those feelings. It just bled out onto the page. And if you look at Layla as well, she's just riddled with, you know, indecision about everything. Like her and Milo, like everything's up in the air. <laughs> you know, their careers, their relationships, all that, like that kind of thing. Everything's just feeling like it's like they're the last people on earth to receive the memo on how the hell to get your life together. And like, that's how it was feeling for me. And like on paper, people are always so quick to 
judge, you know, you've got this, you know, you've done this, you've done that, you've done that. But, you know, behind the scenes, everyone's kind of got their things that they're kind of juggling. And, yeah, it was it almost became like therapy for me, that <laughs> book. It actually wasn't a very fun book to write, but it kind of – I somehow I look back at it and I think, well, I clearly needed to write that book. Um, I needed to write it out of me. (laughs) And I think it's a book that's going to help other people who are feeling the same thing as well. Like it's, it's really, it it really touched me. Yeah. I could relate to it in some ways. Um, But I know that there are other people who are probably going to be like, wow, this is me. Mm. And they're going to find some solace in that. It's been amazing. Like, well, you know, I feel bad when people feel the same as Milo and Layla because they're not in the best, the happiest headspace. But I was, you know, happy that they were able to see themselves reflected on the page in a way that kind of gave them comfort. That I don't want to give anything away with the endings, but you know, understanding that you know maybe life doesn't always have to be sewn up with a big, pretty red ribbon and you know handed to you every second. Like, you know, maybe it is just a matter of kind of working it out as you go a little bit and being okay with that um and yeah so I kind of was almost like teaching myself a lesson as I was writing it and like um I I definitely feel like I'm out of that headspace now it's like it's wonderful I think this is like writing for me just you kind of you can only write the story that you have inside you to tell and like the next YA book that I want to write is like so like it's like another contemporary but it's so different in terms of tone that I'm just like it's just I clearly it depends on where my head's at so yeah <laughs> that's um, really interesting I have to say I really enjoyed reading it and I also really liked the ending I thought it was great but yes, thank you not too much to give away because even Michelle hasn't finished it yet so <laughs> that's enough <laughs> yeah I was really I was really proud of that ending and I would I there was initial whispers when I was first doing the draft of you know is that the way we're definitely going to end it and I was like absolutely like for me that's the point of it and um yeah that's what I love you know yeah some people have contacted me since and I can understand why and you know asking for for more like more of um like a sequel like you know like and I'm like it's not really like I feel like I've told the story I want to tell you know it's very much about two people in this one period of their lives Hmm. exactly and like that's kind of it and that's the point Hmm. yeah I really like that I'm very sorry I'm very hesitant to not give anything away (laughs) I know sorry (laughs) so um we'll we'll move on from the ending of the book um (laughs) so the other thing we wanted to chat to you about was your really really super cute picture book that just came out oh it's so cute It's, it's so gorgeous um yeah why why a picture book and how how do you go about writing a picture book finding an illustrator how <laughs> <laughs> okay so first question was why so I'm again um <clears throat> one of those writers who I follow the ideas rather than like so for example I don't sit down and think to myself I'm going to write a picture book or I'm going to write a YA book I tend to have an idea for a story and then I kind of go oh my god that's a YA book or that's a middle grade or that you know and then it just happened to be that this idea landed in my brain and it was absolutely a picture book and um I I kind of wrote it down I remember emailing myself the most weird notes about it ages ago like way before I wrote it and I kind of thought I just let it brew in my mind and then one day I was chatting with my amazing publisher from HarperCollins and at the time I was still just a YA author with them and I think she just knew my passion for writing for children and so she she had confidence in me branching out and writing for different age groups within YA and children's and so with her kind of nod of yeah give it a go you know like absolutely um I thought okay and I'd always with magazines I'd always bounce between different um demographics as well so I've I'm comfortable writing for different audiences so and plus I just love children's books like I it's what got me into reading from a young age you know my parents buying me these gorgeous um picture books so anyway I just had this magical moment one day where the voice the rhyme like the rhyme from Peace and Quiet came to me and it was just this beautiful writing experience and I don't want to be all wishy-washy about it but 
these experiences never happened to me. So it, it felt like the closest thing to magic that I've ever experienced creatively. And it just started to fly out of me. It was amazing. And I'm not saying at all that writing picture books is easy because I've written about five other manuscripts and they've all been rejected. So this wasn't a case of picture books are easy, blah, blah, blah. It was They're hard, but this one just felt special. And I think it just all culminated at the right time for me. And I actually wrote the first draft just before I started working on Remind Me How to Fence. Um, so a long time ago. And um, they're a very... Um, they move at a glacial pace. Like if you do get the go ahead, they do move at a glacial pace. So what happened, like my situation's a little different just because I'm already with a publisher. So what happened for me was I sent her my manuscript and, you know, I think I sent her a few others at the time and they all didn't get a look in. Forget about them. Um, and this one stood out and um, she, with her 20-something years of, you know, children's picture book publishing experience she could see in her mind who she thought would be a really good fit illustrator wise and I was happy to be guided by that so she sent me Sue's name and I had a google around I was like oh yes 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 I like the vibe of her stuff and I could see like tonally like it would be the right fit like I was really was I was very protective of the work obviously but the moment I saw Sue's work I had trust that she was kind of quirky and it was whimsical but still you know cute and beautiful like I was just like oh this is just everything that I need and but it wasn't as simple as that Sue obviously had to say yes <laughs> so, um, you know like you can get your hopes up like so I think I was just like crossing my fingers and then luckily um, Sue was available but she wasn't available straight away because um, she's very in demand does a lot of work with like Jackie Branch and like this is why it's like so amazing I'm so green in the picture book world I was just happy to be along for the ride really I was like I will yeah I'll do anything you need so um, <laughs> yeah so Sue was able to do it but we just had kind of had to push it back a little bit which was great and it, so I kind of just had peas and quite ticking along in the background working on that and edits and things like that while I was working on Remind Me How This Ends and it was always just this really joyous, beautiful, creative experience that was like balancing out my like <laughs> angsty heartache while like doing Remind Me How This Ends. <laughs> it was like quite lucky timing, I think. Like it really, um, yeah, it really kind of broke up the madness that I was falling into while throwing myself head first into remind me how this ends because the only way I was able to write remind me how this ends was to kind of like go to the go to the bad place and like to kind of access the feelings that I was trying to feel to mm. write about um while with peace and quiet it's just joy and fun and drinking <laughs> tea and pancakes and yeah silliness and like it was just yeah <laughs> so much fun like I don't think I had one bad day in like the number of years we worked on it working on that book which is quite a quite a um achievement for me when working on a book yeah that's a pretty good thing to say it's yeah. like you just yeah. like it was all fun that's cool it was all fun it was all fun like even when we had tricky things to iron out like I had to you know add in new stanzas because you know I needed more in the center or I needed to rewrite something because it didn't quite fit with the illustrations anymore or that kind of thing that was never like a big stress it was more like I was excited to have a go, you know, like it was just, it felt like a really fun project and obviously it, it was, it was good, but um, I just wish that they've, like I said, they are very hard to write, like in my mind, I'm like, I just want to write so many more, um, but I just have this feeling that I'm probably going to keep getting rejected and then it'll, like how many times and then eventually I might get another one, you know, like it's mm. not a case of churning them out you know, year after year now that I've had one out, it's very much like it's everything has to line up to get the go-ahead. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting ride, I think, with pitch books from yeah. now on. See, yeah. see where it's it goes from here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we kind of – that's all our questions. <laughs> so we yeah. are going to play a little game of Would You Rather. Oh, yes. dangerous. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I just have um, an – a question inspired by the intern. So, Gabrielle, would you rather hand wash 5,000 bikinis or <laughs> untangle five crates full of jewellery? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think I'm... Look, obviously I don't want to do either, but I think <laughs> I would have to hand wash the bikinis. I am so bad at untangling jewellery. Like, I, I would probably rather untangle the jewellery, but I don't think I'd get anywhere. Like, I'm one of those people that always has to, like, hand it to a friend or my sister or something to, like, untangle, like, a really fine necklace. So I think I'm stuck with the bikinis, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I have to admit, I think untangling the jewellery would just drive me insane and oh. I'd probably get the bikinis done quicker because you just, like, you're just yeah. washing them. It's simpler. Totally. Yeah, put some <laughs> music on and just, like, zone out. Well, I think with the the um, jewellery, you have to really concentrate. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. oh, it drives me mad. <laughs> I was going to say jewellery, but I think I would, like, my stomach would be in knots because I get really anxious when I'm trying to do stuff like that. So I think for my yeah. mental health, bikinis as is. <laughs> bikinis would be better (laughs) yeah (laughs) well thank you so much for joining us today Gabby we really appreciate it oh my goodness my pleasure (laughs) thank you so much for having me guys thanks again to Gabrielle Tozer for joining us we just loved talking to you as I mentioned at the very beginning of our episode, you definitely need to follow her on Twitter. And now that The Bachelor's back on TV, guess who's live tweeting every episode? So Twitter, at Gabrielle Tozer, same on Instagram. You can also check out everything about her on her website, gabrielletozer.com. All her books are published through HarperCollins and they'll be available pretty much anywhere you can buy books. Make sure you look this girl up because she's just fabulous. Now remember, thanks for joining us for some better words make sure you follow us on twitter and instagram at better words pod our facebook page is better words podcast and check out our website betterwordspodcast.com don't forget to subscribe bye